Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. I invite you to explore Scripture with me as we look for hope and comfort in God's Word. We all have spiritual needs, especially during these turbulent times. The stress that we're under can affect our bodies, our minds, and our souls. But we're not helpless. Spending a little time fulfilling our spiritual needs spills over into the rest of our lives. I hope that the time you spend here will be healing and hope-filled. This week, I'm going to be looking at one of the oldest stories in the Bible, the story of Noah and the Great Flood. Now, although uh, most of us are familiar with this story, there are always new ways to look at these old standards from new perspectives. So let's look at how this particular tale can shine light into our eyes. We pick up the story at the end of the flood disaster. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen above the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, God was pretty satisfied after completing the creation of the heavens and the earth and all the plants and animals that lived there. God was particularly pleased with the man and woman he'd created, Adam and Eve, whom he saw as the crown of creation. God looked down upon all of this and proclaimed with satisfaction, this is very good. And God gave the care and management of this creation over to Adam and Eve. But God's honeymoon with this creation, especially Adam and Eve, didn't last for long. Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of Satan and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their disobedience. And things only went downhill from there. Adam and Eve's firstborn son, Cain, killed his brother Abel in a fit of jealousy. And things continued to degenerate. But God did not act for generations. Things got worse and worse. Humans became more and more depraved. Finally, God had had enough. The writer of Genesis reports, The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. 
and the Lord was sorry that he'd made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I've created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I ever made them. But God reconsiders and makes an exception. A man called Noah had pleased God, and so God decided to spare him and a representative pair of all the species of animals on earth along with Noah's family. And at God's instruction, Noah builds an ark and loads it up with the required livestock as the rains begin to fall. Every man, woman, and child who had not made it onto the ark perished in a great flood. Well, after the rains stop, the flood recedes. Noah sends out a dove which returns with an olive leaf in its beak proof that the waters had receded and dry land has reappeared. Noah, his family, and the animals disembark. And then God places a rainbow in the sky and proclaims, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is in earth. And God <clears throat> said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Well, that's the end of this particular episode in the relationship between God and the people of earth. But as we know, there would be many more setbacks to come in that relationship. The whole story of the Bible is the story of a struggle between God and his stubborn people. The rainbow in this story will play a key role in understanding how God continues to relate to us faithfully. Having endured the global pandemic for over a year now, we might be tempted to wonder if God may have looked down on you, humankind and said again, I'm sorry that I made them. I'm going to do them in. And like the torrential rains that led to the Great Flood, the effects of the coronavirus just keep coming at us wave after wave. And we keep wondering, when will it let up? Did God forget his promise to Noah? Is God punishing us again? Now, if you just looked at the earliest stories of the Old Testament, you might get the impression that God is a vindictive and punishing tyrant. The story of the great flood is God at his harshest. He's poised to totally obliterate everything that he created in which he has shown so much delight in the beginning. And even though God does relent and saves Noah, his family, and representative breeding pairs of animals, he wiped out the rest of every living thing on earth. Like I said, God seems pretty harsh. But it appears that God changes a lot in the span of the 66 books of the Bible. The God we have come to know and proclaim is love itself. God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us, and the person of Jesus Christ. So this presents us with a theological problem because 
God is not supposed to change. In a hymn that we sing, Immortal, Invisible, and God Only Wise, we say, We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but naught changeth thee. You and me and everything else in creation is perishable. We are born with an expiration date. We blossom and flourish, then we wither and die. But not God. God is eternal and unchanging. God is the solid ground upon which we stand. If that ground starts shifting, we have nowhere to turn for certainty. So how did God change? How did God evolve? Well, I have my own amateur solution to this biblical and theological enigma. God doesn't change. But our understanding of God changes as we get better acquainted. See, the Bible was written by human beings over many centuries. And over those centuries, human beings grew in their relationship with God and better understood God's ways. We're still getting to know God better. This evolving, deeper understanding of God is reflected in the Bible. This distinction between God changing and our understanding of God changing may seem as important as asking how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, but it is really important if we're going to understand the significance of the climax of the flood story the rainbow that God hangs in the sky. The rainbow in this story is a technicolor sign of God's enduring, unchanging love for humankind and all of creation. No matter how fraught our relationship becomes with God, either as humanity as a whole or us as individuals, God will never give up on us again. It sometimes seems that God has given up on us in the midst of our struggling and suffering, but God is always on our side. In the Bible, the final show of that faithfulness and unchanging commitment to us is seen in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The rainbow was the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. Now, growing out of this biblical story, the rainbow has become a secular symbol of hope. From the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in Irish tradition, to what is envisioned somewhere over the rainbow in Dorothy's song in The Wizard of Oz, the rainbow allows us to imagine and hope for something as yet unseen, unseen promises on the other side or at the rainbow's end. The rainbow has also been picked up by political movements as a symbol of hope and promise. Back in the 1960s, Fred Hampton of the Black Panthers founded the Rainbow Coalition to represent interracial cooperation among blacks, Latinos, and impoverished whites. Today, the LBGTQ community has adopted the rainbow as a symbol of diversity and understanding. You know, I remember as a child traveling down the road in the family car and seeing a rainbow. I was fascinated by where the rainbow ended. It always looked to me like it was just over the hill. 
One time, my dad humored me and turned down a side road to chase the rainbow. Of course, by the time we got to the place where I was sure the rainbow came from, it evaporated into thin air. Rainbows are shy, fragile things that don't like to be chased down, and they don't last very long. And just as we think we're about to discover that pot of gold or find the good thing somewhere over the rainbow, it just disappears from our sight. You see, rainbows aren't real. They have no substance. When the sun's light passes through clouds of raindrops, the white light is refracted, just as it is when it passes through a glass prism. The light is split into arcs of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. But there's nothing material in the sky. And there is no beginning, and there is no end to the rainbow. There is no place that we can locate as over the rainbow. Dorothy found that out in The Wizard of Oz. She learns that the reality she dreams of over the rainbow, that perfect world, that better world, and the things that her newfound friends, the cowardly lion, the scarecrow, and the tin man, the things that they're seeking from the wizard, have been available to them all along. They only need to recognize and claim them. These things they want are not somewhere over the rainbow. They're here. The rainbow that God set in the sky was no more real than the one my dad and I chased through the countryside. It has a different kind of reality. It is a sign and reminder of God's faithfulness. There is no pot of gold at the rainbow's end. But knowing of God's faithfulness frees us to find what we need right here, where we are, if we will claim it. God has already provided what we need. What is on the other side of the rainbow for you right now? What is it that you need to get through these hard days? Many people that I talk to long to be able to return to face-to-face relationships with the people they love. Some of us wish we could spend time with our older parents who are isolated in nursing homes. Some of us hurt for our children because they can't be with their friends and get on with their life plans. Many of us want to have our means of living, making a living returned. And all of us want to live without fear of getting sick or dying. It seems like they're just out there somewhere. If only we could get to that other side of the rainbow. Those are all understandable hopes and dreams. No wonder we may be tempted to chase rainbows. But upon reflection, Dorothy and her friends taught me that what we need is not over the rainbow. It's right here. We have what we need. You see, the cowardly lion reminded me that we have courage. Every day I see people around me facing the possibility of sickness or even death as they go to work in hospitals to care for the sick or nursing homes. And our economy hasn't shut down because of the courage of all the workers who continue to do their jobs. It takes courage even to stay at home and keep on with daily life and give our children a sense of security. We have the courage 
to continue to be. If you have survived this past year, you deserve a badge of courage. The scarecrow reminded me that we have a brain. There are some really smart brains out there working overtime, coming up with vaccines and cures for this virus. There are brains that work out the logistics of getting that vaccine distributed. Economists and business people are putting their brain power to work, keeping our world running so that we can prosper and build a better life once more after uh, on the other side of the pandemic. We all have the smarts to live in such a way that we protect ourselves and those around us. We have brains. The Tin Man probably, uh, probably teaches us, us the most important lesson of all. We have a heart. Despite all the bad things that are going on in the world, it's outweighed by the acts of loving kindness that we see around us all the time. In my experience, on a personal basis, most people are motivated to help and care for others. We really care. We have hearts. Now, there are wicked witches out there, to be sure. But ultimately, they do not have power in our lives. Even a little girl like Dorothy could defeat them. As long as we keep our hearts open, we will help each other get through this. Then there's Dorothy herself. She realized that she was surrounded by family and a whole community of people who cared about her. She was not alone. And we are not alone on so many levels. We have our immediate families to rely on, even if sometimes we can't be directly with them. We have our churches and families of faith. We have extended families. We have communities and states in our country who are all in this together. We have the people we work with. Ultimately, we have all of God's children around the globe to remind us that we'll never be alone. And we have that rainbow up in the sky to remind us that God has not deserted us and never will. So the next time you see a rainbow, don't go chasing it. Remember that it is a promise that God is right here with you, right here in your home. As Dorothy says finally, Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're at home. Home. And this is my room, and you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again because I love you all. And oh, Auntie M, there's no place like home. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. And in the words of the old Irish blessing, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand.
Thank you. 